So we're in a series called Summer's Greatest Hits. If you're new with us this morning, we are spending this summer going through the book of the Bible called the Psalms. And the Psalms are songs. And so we've been looking at a different song every week. In 11 days, my wife Cheryl and I will celebrate 15 years of being married to one another. 11 days from now, woo! Yep. So here's the deal. We got married at 10 a.m. on a Saturday because our reception hall gave us a discount. And uh, so if we had a reception in the afternoon, saved a lot of money. It was $28 a person for our wedding. And if you got married in the last five years, 10 years, you know that we got an amazing deal. We just had to wake up early. I was 21 when I got married. Cheryl was 24. And to give you an idea about how unprepared, nervous, terrified I was, here is a picture of me five minutes after the ceremony. That's me. Obviously a candid shot. Yep, I look awesome, don't I? I just want you to know things got a lot better for Cheryl and I after that. And I also want you to know I was able to pull it together. I would say the absolute best part of being married to Cheryl is learning more about who she is. Looking back, I realized that on our wedding day, I didn't know her that well. I thought she was pretty, I enjoyed her company, and we had common values except being on time. But over the years, as I have gotten to know her, the things I have discovered about that woman have led to a fuller, more complete love for her. One of the greatest joys for me, and I know this is not everyone's experience, but one of the greatest joys for me is that the more I have gotten to know my wife, the more I have loved her and love what she loves. One of the great joys of being in a relationship over the long haul is that the more you get to know someone, the more you get to see who they are and what they care about. This is true in marriage, it's true in friendship, it's true in families, and it's true in parenting. But it's also true in our relationship with God. The more we get to know who God is, the more we get to know what matters to him. When we read the Bible and see who God has revealed himself to be, when we study the life of Jesus, when we realize what Jesus has commanded us to do, it becomes clear what is important to God. As we get to know God's heart, we discover that one of the things he is passionate about is that people from every nation and people from around the globe, every people group, in every corner of the earth. He is passionate about all peoples knowing his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God is passionate about. Passionate about the world knowing him through faith in his son, Jesus. For those of you who don't know missions, when we talk about missions today, missions is when people who live in one country uproot themselves, move to a different country for the sole purpose of sharing Jesus Christ in a place that is not their homeland. So this morning we're going to talk about missions. The missionary Henry Martin, a missionary to India and Persia, said this, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. The nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we become. 
This morning, we're going to look at one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 67. I've entitled this message, A Song for the Nations While It's Pouring Rain Outside. Here's what Psalm 67 says. May God be gracious to us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that as we learn Psalm 67 this morning, Lord God, we are grateful for your presence here. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as the sound of rushing water is in the background today. Lord, may it remind us that your goal is to cover the earth like rain is covering our community with the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, may the nations know and worship your Son. Lord God, we love you. Holy Spirit, do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. So this song is really a prayer asking God to bless us and be gracious to his people. That's what the psalmist is saying. God, bless me. Be gracious to us, your people. Let your face shine upon your people. But there's a reason. So that the nations and the peoples of the earth would know your salvation. How through, how though are the nations going to know the salvation of God. Like how is that actually going to happen? How is the psalmist going to pray thousands of years ago, may the nations know your salvation, and now in 2018, like how does that work? How does God make his salvation known to the nations? Scholars agree that the language of verses one and two of Psalm 67 are referring back to the moment when God first spoke to Abraham about how he was going to use his family line to bless the world. The beginning of the psalm says, may God bless us so that your ways may be known, your salvation among all nations. That's very similar to the language God spoke to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses two and three. Listen to what it says. This is God speaking to Abraham. Just a guy, you're like, who's Abraham? He's the first Israelite, but before that, he was just a dude living in a tent in the desert. What was special about Abraham? We don't know. God just chose him. And God chose Abraham, and this is what he said to him. I will make you into a great nation, Abraham, and I'm going to bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. How is that going to work? How are all the nations of the earth going to be blessed through Abraham? How does that work in theology? How does that work in history? Our advantage here this morning is that we have the benefit of hindsight. 
unlike the psalmist and unlike Abraham himself, we know how God fulfilled this promise to Abraham to bless all the nations of the earth through him. God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul makes this clear in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. This is what Paul says. He says, understand then that those who believe, and he's talking about believe in Jesus as the Messiah, are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify, or God would call not guilty, or God would call righteous. The Gentiles, who are Gentiles? Everyone who's not Jewish. If you're not Jewish this morning, you're a Gentile. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then later in Galatians 3.14, Paul says this, he redeemed us in order that the blessing, blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So here's what I want you to know this morning. If you haven't been in church or you're not aware of this, here's something that's super important. God's plan to save the world was to choose a man, Abraham, and create out of Abraham a nation, the Israelites. He sent Jesus, his son, as an Israelite, as the Messiah, to die for the sins of mankind so that all those who believe in Jesus with faith are experiencing the fulfillment of God's promise to bless the nations through Abraham. And this morning, we can sit in Royersford, Pennsylvania in 2018, we read Psalm 67 and understand that this song is a prayer for God to bless and be gracious to his people, the church. That's what the psalm would mean after Jesus Christ rose and fulfilled the promise of God to Abraham, that God would bless his church, God would be gracious to his church, so that the peoples of the earth can know God through faith in Jesus. So let's get into Psalm 67 this morning. And I know that the air conditioning system at Spring Forward 7th Grade Center sometimes leaks over there. So if you go over there, watch out, because it might be wet. If you're over here, you're good. If you're over there and you feel rain, it's just a bonus. Here's what we learned from Psalm 67. Here's what God wants to be known as. Here's what God wants for the nations. God wants to be known. God wants to be praised. God wants to be enjoyed. And God wants to be feared. God wants to be known, praised, enjoyed, and feared in every nation on earth. And what we learned last week, Pastor Kerry taught us, fearing the Lord means to be overwhelmed with wonder by God's greatness and love and bowing our lives before him because of his glory and beauty. God wants to be known, God wants to be praised, God wants to be enjoyed, and God wants to be feared. John Piper said these words, missions exist 
because the knowledge, praise, enjoyment, and fear of God does not exist among all peoples. So here's a question we want to ask and answer this morning. What does God want to be known, praised, enjoyed, and feared for? Like, what is it about God in the nations when God is looking over the earth? He's saying, I want to be known, I want to be praised, I want to be enjoyed, I want to be feared, but for what reasons? There's four reasons. Here's the first one. God wants to be known, praised, enjoyed, feared as the one and only God. We can infer this from the fact that the psalmist is praying that his God will be known and praised among all the nations, which includes people who worship false gods. God says this in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 and 6. This is God speaking. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me so that from the rising of the sun to the place where it's setting, men may know there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. If this were not true, catch this, if the God of the Bible was not the only God, missions would be the most ridiculous and arrogant thing a person could do with their life, calling the nations to praise and fear and enjoy God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is silly. That is a silly thing for people to do if God is just one of many gods among the buffet of religion. But if it is true that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world, then missions is one of the most humble, daring, and obedient responses of a people who love those who are lost and headed for eternity apart from God. Here's the second thing that God wants to be known as, as the just judge. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly. That verb rule can mean judge. God is a just judge. He is the judge of the whole earth, and his judgments are always just and fair. God is not partial. He accepts no bribes. His judgment of the nations can't be swayed by public opinion or Twitter outrage by comfortable 21st century suburbanites. God is not going to be changed because you're living a comfortable life with almost no resistance to faith in Christ and we sit around and critique God as the judge of the whole earth when maybe we haven't thought about that God as a just judge is good news to people who are oppressed and can't take things into their own hands. You understand that for some of us, your problem with God's judgment is based in the fact that your life is incredibly easy and simple because no one is trying to kill, rape, pillage your wife and kids your family, but there are people living for Christ over the nations of the earth and they are being persecuted and beheaded and killed and they are grateful that God will judge all wrongs. And some of us are like, well, that's not fair. You were just born. You don't know what's fair in the mind of God. But what you can always rest in is that God 
is a just judge. Like every just judge, he will not condemn or favor anyone based on the color of their skin, intellectual ability, birthplace, or ethnic heritage. Everyone will stand before God the judge on equal footing. The nations are equal with Israel. The rich are equal with the poor. Men are equal with women. The standard of justice will be the same for all people. And there is no hope before a holy and a righteous God except perfection. And the only way to be made perfect is through faith in Christ. I also want you to know this this morning. Oh, God has just been showing me this all week. God's heart is not condemnation. God has gone through incredible lengths not to punish, not to judge and condemn. He has sent Jesus. He has sent the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It costs God everything so that we can stand before Him someday and be heard and hear not guilty. Welcome into the joy of the Lord, faithful servant. And God wants that for your life and all the nations of the earth. God's heart is not, I can't wait to roast and condemn people. God's heart is, please, turn to my son. He has done the work. Look to him and live. That's God's heart. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. It shows us that God's heart is redemption and rescue. You know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. That's good news. But we have to deal with verse 18 because Jesus isn't done talking yet. Whoever believes in him, who's him? Jesus, the Son, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. See, sometimes we get tripped up because we think people are basically good. And because we think we're basically good people, we have bought the lie that we are not really bad sinners and God will not judge. But what Jesus says to us is that Jesus didn't come to condemn because the world is already under condemnation. Like you weren't born good and then you stole a pack of gum at Wawa and now you're bad. Every man, woman, and child on earth is under God's condemnation because of our sinful rebellion against him. And so how does God respond to sinfully rebellious people? He sends his son to rescue. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Why? Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I'm preaching my heart out on this point because I know that so many of us, the walls are up when it comes to God's judgment. And I want you to see that God desires mercy, not judgment. And notice that the psalmist says that this should cause us joy, not grief. God as a just judge is a source of joy. He will right every wrong. 
He will give justice for those who don't have it. And he will punish, reward, acquit, and convict without partiality. Here's the third way that God wants to be known as the sovereign, sovereign leader of the nations. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. This word guide is a Hebrew verb that means to lead. The meaning includes herding like a shepherd to a predetermined location. God desires to lead the nations in all wisdom to a place of blessing. There is no nation that is independent of the sovereign power of our God. God runs the world, he appoints leaders and rulers, and he is completely in charge. Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, Daniel the prophet says this, he, God, changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. And then Solomon says in Proverbs 21, verse 1, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. Again, notice that God's leadership over our lives, God's leadership over the nations, what is it supposed to produce? Gladness, joy, worship, excitement. Catch this. There would be far more joy in the nations, in the peoples of the world, and in your life and in my life if we relied on God's guidance instead of our own wisdom and ingenuity. Listen, I was wrestling this week with this question. If God sets up and appoints rulers, why does he let some go for so long who do so many terrible things? I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to that. But I do know that that's a small slice of time that he lets the wicked rule in light of all eternity. And God wants to say to the nations, let me guide you. Let me lead you. And God is saying to you this morning, I am an all-wise, all-powerful leader. Follow me. Follow me. You don't need to be wise and ingenious. You need to follow Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing that God wants to be known for as a gracious Savior. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your what? Salvation among all nations. God is a God who saves. He wants his saving power to be known among all nations. He has given us the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners and he has done that by giving his life as an offering for our sin and rising from the grave to defeat death. God wants this good news, this gospel of what Jesus Christ has done to be proclaimed and heard throughout every nation on earth. You may not realize this morning, but the gospel is still news to so many people. There are 2.5 billion people on the planet who have never even heard that Jesus Christ is their Savior. There are approximately 7,000 people groups who have not heard the gospel 
Jesus has commanded us in Matthew 28 to bring this message of salvation into all nations or all people groups of the world. God wants to be known. God wants to be praised. God wants to be enjoyed. And God wants to be feared when people put their faith in His Son and His heart is beating for the nations. His heart is beating for people that you don't know and you'll never see. His heart is for all. All. No one is out of His view. He wants all to know Him as Savior. So what's our part in making God known? What's your part? What's my part in making God known? One final thing to say about Psalm 67. The beginning and the end of the psalm contain asking God to bless us. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Then the land will yield its harvest and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us and the, all the ends of the earth will what? Fear him. Here's what we must specifically see about the blessing the psalmist is praying for. God's blessing that is being prayed for is so that in God blessing Israel, they would be a blessing to the nations. And notice that the blessing is specifically the land will yield its harvest. That's a material blessing. So here's what this psalm is about. God, bless us with money. Bless us with wealth. Bless us with more food than we need. Bless us with raises and bonuses. Bless us materially, God. Why? Why? So that you might be God, known, praised, enjoyed, feared on every nation on earth. Why is this absolutely enormous for us to get? Because there is a clear connection with our material and financial blessings and the spiritual blessing of the nations. God never blesses us materially to fill up our happiness tank or so that you can live a life of opulent luxury and ease and comfort. God blesses you. You have more than you need so that you can bless the nations. And the most profound way to bless someone is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me be even more explicit so no one is wondering exactly what I think this psalm is calling out to us today. Your money, your home, your investment accounts, your earning potential, your retirement fund, your retirement years weren't given to you simply for your enjoyment and the benefit of your family. God has given you and I material and financial resources to bless the nations with the gospel. God gives his people material wealth 
for the sake of the world's spiritual worship. Here's the test for the American church, for people like you and people like me, and I know for a stone-cold fact, some of us in this room are struggling to make it, and we even wonder if we have enough for our needs. But many of us, if not most of us, this applies in every way. The test for the American church is that God has blessed us materially beyond any people in the history of the world. He has blessed this nation and his church with unprecedented wealth. And the question for us is how will we use what God has blessed us with to bless the world. I want to close with a quote and then three action points this morning. I'm reading a book right now called Redeeming Money. It's by a gentleman named Paul Tripp. He's an author. He actually lives in the Philadelphia area. I would highly recommend this book. It's awesome. Redeeming Money by Paul Tripp. But I want to read something that Paul Tripp says that is just so appropriate for us right now. Your use of money will be determined by your allegiance to the work of one of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of self. God gives you money not so much to make sure that your kingdom works, but to connect you by grace to the work of a much bigger, much better kingdom. As you give yourself to the work of His kingdom, you get to watch your money do things that are literally of eternal consequence. In offering your resources to the bigger kingdom, your money is used to fuel the most important work in the universe, redemption. the most important work in the universe, redemption. Your dollars are grace to people. They allow us to send. They allow us to proclaim the gospel. They allow us to support missionaries that are in Israel, Egypt, Europe, China, Syria. God uses our money to advance His work. And so the question is always this. How much of the money that actually belongs to God should go to the kingdom? For years, the church has said, 10%. We're like, yeah, 10%. That's a good amount of money to give to gospel work. And I would say, I think 10% is a great amount to start giving to your local church. But God desires the world to know Him. I don't want Spring Valley to become a rich church. I want Spring Valley to become a church 
that blesses the nations with our dollars. There are 400 Assemblies of God churches across Pennsylvania and Delaware. Last year, we were the 33rd, I believe, highest giving church to missions. 33 out of 400. That's pretty good. And I'm grateful for the dollars we're giving to missions. But I know when we get closer to Jesus and we understand that the Spirit of Christ is a missionary spirit, we begin to see the own, our own little kingdom and we don't ask, how much do I have to give to get God and Pastor Joe off my back? Some of us, we think about giving that way. How much do I have to give so I don't feel guilty? That's not at all God's heart for your life. God's heart for your life is this. Do you wanna get involved in the most important thing in the whole world? Do you wanna get involved in the spiritual future of every man, woman, and child under the sun? Okay, maybe you can't go to Uzbekistan. Maybe you're not gonna be a church planter in Syria. Maybe you won't go into the heart of Russia. But you can give and you can sacrifice and you can say no to some comfort to say yes to the nations. May God be gracious to us and bless us and may his face shine upon us so that his ways may be known on earth. May all the peoples praise him. May all the peoples praise him. What's your heart this morning? Do you care even a little? God can work with just a little bit of care. God can work with just a spark and turn it into a fire for his work around the world. I know, I know this because this is how I am. Sometimes I just care about myself, my vacations, my savings account, my bills are paid. And yet I read Psalm 67 and God is calling out to us. Will you use what I've blessed you with so the world can know my son? Would you pray about that? Would you consider that? And if you're a little bit angry that this sermon all of a sudden talked about money, that's just because you love money more than God and he still loves you. You're like, how do you know that? Because our hearts are idol factories and one of the biggest idols in every person's heart in this room is wealth. It's true. The best is to just confess that to God and just say, God, you see, I worry and I stress about money more than anything else in my life. God, help me to just open up my hands and say, God, use my wealth to bless the nations. So what should we do in response to Psalm 67? Three things. We should pray for the nations. We should pray for the nations. Pastor John Stott, an Anglican pastor who passed away recently said, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. 
Second thing we need to do is we need to give to the nations. Missionary C.T. Studd said this, if Jesus Christ be God and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. God loves that part. Third, and this is probably only a few of us in this room, but I believe that this is some of us. Some of us are called I don't know who you are, and you definitely shouldn't pretend you are if you're not. But some of us are called to go to the nations. Some of us are called to put the house on the market, go through the process, and become missionaries. We take our families, we pack our belongings, we put them in a shipping container, and we go. And people who aren't feeling that call from God, we reach into our pockets and we send. Maybe the Holy Spirit is working in your heart this morning and He is saying, I am calling you to go. Pray about that. Bring that to God. Talk with godly and wise people about if that truly is the Lord. Let us be a church where people aren't impressed by our new building or how we've kind of grown as a church through the years, not by our kids' ministry or that way you can get a cup of coffee and a croissant before church, not our preaching or our worship teams, not how wonderfully servant-oriented so many of us are. Let us be known as a church that has a heart for the nations. That's God's heart. Let's pray that into our own lives this morning. Would you just open up your hands at your seat, just like this, palms up, just a position of receptivity to what God wants to do in your life. God, I just come with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I come with those this morning who are saying, God, we just want to be used. And Lord, we agree together, your heart is that we would never have fun, never take a vacation. That's not what you're about, God. Your heart is not, we're not allowed to have nice things. That's not it. Your heart is that we would have your heart. And that, Lord, when you bless us, we would bless the nations. Lord, that 10% of our income wouldn't be some goal that we reach and then feel like the rest is ours to do what we want, but that we would be people who are constantly open to the Spirit of God saying, God, use the dollars I have so the world can know Christ. Please, God, do a work in my heart. You pray that for you. God, do a work in my heart. Lord God, use our dollars so that the world can know your son. I pray that you would go with us as we leave today. I pray that you would just help us to have a, just a spirit of gratitude and joy as we bless Marvin and Betty Smith as they make their journey to Minnesota and we say goodbye to them today. 
Lord, use us. We love you. May all the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May your salvation be known in every people on earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.